0: Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, wonderful people, and uh, good morning to you if you are watching us online. Look, if you weren't here last week, let me briefly give you the highlights. Uh, As Ant said, we are in a new series we've called Building for the Future, and over the month of June, I'm unpacking uh, the vision that I shared with you back in February, uh, that God has asked us to go on this journey of finding a building to call home. A place to house our Sunday gatherings, our midweek uh, ministries, and to make space for more. Um, I shared with you that in uh, all of the church research, research, it shows that if you're 70, 80% full, then you're full. And we know that we've been full for a while, and people have bounced off us. They've come here, and they felt like it was too full, and they have, have, have gone elsewhere. Um, but I also talked to you about all the pressures that we're feeling on a Sunday in terms of the kids' work. If you remember, the kids have been oversubscribed for a considerable period of time, uh, and we're wanting to help them uh, uh, multiply so that they continue to do uh, you know, wonderful kids' uh, ministry on a Sunday. And I also talked about how over the next 24 months, there's a whole load of kids that will be going up into youth, and then we've got the same problem over at Sovereign House. Uh, but just to um, reassure you, and, and some of you you may have heard that and thought, well, hold on a minute, we're just moving some of that problem over there. One of the things that I haven't mentioned to you, uh, some of you will know this, some of you won't know this, is that since um, we took Sovereign House on, we have subletted part of the building to Richmond Holidays, who have been absolutely amazing. Obviously, Adam uh, Playfair is the CEO of of Richmond. But we have actually asked them to leave. Uh, And uh, the reason that we've asked them to leave, it's not that we don't love them and we don't love all that they're doing. We need space. And many of you leaders will know that you have been knocking our doors for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and saying, can I have a space? I want to do this, I want to do that. And often we're like, well, we haven't got a space any night of the week or at any time that you want. So we are going to make space in there, predominantly for the young people, but the space will also be used uh, for other kingdom uh, ministries. Um. I'm aware that as I talk about building, that a whole load of you, especially you that are new um, and some of you that have been coming to Coastline only in the last few weeks or months, may have never stepped foot into an established vineyard church Building And so we wanted to uh, make a little video of just three vineyard churches just to show you some of what God can do and i 'm going to show this video every every week because i, I don 't know if everyone 's going to be here every week, but James worked uh, tirelessly to put this together, so why don 't we watch what the Lord can do in an established vineyard church? Mm-hmm. Hey church, I'm here at St Albans, the current venue of Coastline Vineyard, every Sunday. This place has been such a blessing for us over the last four or five years, but God is asking us to go on a new adventure. Here on Sundays and in pretty much every area of Coastline life, we are growing. God has called us to find or to build a building, to facilitate all the current kingdom uh, ministries that are happening, but also to make space for more, to establish a vineyard church here in Bournemouth for generations to come. But is that even possible? And what would it look like? Well, thankfully, a number of vineyard churches across the UK and Ireland have taken this great step of faith, the same step of faith that we are about to take. So here we are at Trent Vineyard Church in Nottingham. Our staff team and our leaders have come all the way here for Vineyard Leaders Gathering 2023. So I thought I would take the chance to show you what a building purpose built for ministry could look like. building is amazing this is an established vineyard church this is what the lord can do currently for coastline kids we are in three very very small rooms let's take a little look inside Trent kids to see the kind of options for spaces that we could have with a purpose-built kids venue Look at the size of this. This is their main kids' auditorium. It's got so much space, so much room for activities. Uh, It's great. They still have them all in together, but it's huge space for worship, loads of time for games. They've got a little stage so you can kind of contain stuff, keep it nice and safe for the kids. It's brilliant. As well as the main kids' auditorium, they've got loads and loads of breakout rooms all along. Uh, with space for age, different age groups to do their stuff. They've got toys, games, all sorts of stuff laid out. Perfect spaces for babies, for toddlers, uh, as well as then smaller spaces to do life groups and stuff like that as well. Meanwhile, St Albans and Hull Vineyard churches have made converted warehouses their homes. Let's see how they've used their buildings to reach new levels of effectiveness in ministry. Yard churches took on a seemingly impossible task that God made possible. We believe that God is calling us to take this step of faith, to usher in the revival that we're all believing for and change Bournemouth forever. Would you come on this great adventure with us? Sorry about the glitchiness. (laughs) <laughs> we'll get that fixed next week. Yeah, we can give a clap. Thank you, James. Now, we look forward to what the Lord is going to do with us. And what I want us to do uh, over this whole adventure of building for the future is I want us to bathe it in prayer and fasting. As I said last week, every single one of us that would call Vineyard, uh, Coastline home uh, have a part to play in what the Lord wants to do uh, both individually and corporately, as I said last week, uh, we may have some significant obstacles ahead, we, we don't know what they are uh, right now, but we want to be as a community utterly dependent on God that He will remove those obstacles obstacles easily. I've had this picture of kind of being in a, in a Formula One car, you know, like putting on the gloves and the helmet and uh, getting our protection ready for all of the, the car to be ready to go on this journey. Now, as we look at uh, God's people through the Old and the New Testament, we often find them setting aside, uh, time aside to pray and to fast, sometimes individually and sometimes corporately. In fact, fasting, uh, you would also agree with me, is often forgotten in the church. But we're called to fast. Fasting is mentioned over 70 times in the Bible, and the Pharisees uh, used to actually fast twice a week as a matter of routine. And they asked Jesus why Jesus' disciples didn't and can you remember what Jesus' response was? He tells them that they will fast when he is gone. J- Jesus assumes that his disciples will fast. Matthew 6.16, he says, when you fast. He's like, don't fast like the Pharisees did, you know, for show and kind of to, to kind of make people feel uh, guilty. But he does call us to fast. We see in Acts uh, 13, verse 2, it says this. It says, while they, this is the church, were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. We see here in the early church that fasting, it, it doesn't seem like they were kind of fasting in order that God would tell them who his chosen missionaries would be, but it talks about them fasting as if they were just doing it as a normal activity. And during that time of fasting and prayer, the Lord spoke to them. Sometimes it's clear that God's people fasted because they were genuinely asking God for guidance on a major decision. We see it a little later in Acts 14.23. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in each church with prayer And fasting. Here they set aside time to fast and pray because they had a specific need. Now, we're going to look together this morning just briefly at Ezra chapter 8. And let me give you the brief context here. The context is that the temple, which was destroyed by Israel's enemies, had been rebuilt. And Ezra has the king, King Artaxerxes, permission to lead a group of Israelites who have been in exile back into Jerusalem. And note to self here, God's hand is upon Ezra as he goes with these men. So Ezra 8.21 says this, There, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for safe journey. And I am calling us Coastline Vineyard to a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask Him for safe journey. We, we cannot do this alone. We need to be very clear that unless the Lord builds His house, those of us who build it labor. In vain, Psalm 127.1. In fasting, we're saying to God, your will be done. And we're asking him for safe journey. As a church, we are moving into unfamiliar territory. And a number of things could potentially get in our way. Our enemy Satan is not happy at all with what we are embarking on. As I said last week, when this building comes to pass, it will make a massive dent in the kingdom of darkness here in our town. This facility will become a beacon of light to our town, a place where God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. It will serve... Yeah, you can clap that. You can clap that. Come on. Praise God. Obviously, it will serve all the current kingdom ministries that exist within church family life, but it will also facilitate new ministries that we've only dreamed about. Although this will be an incredible tool for our church family, it will have a significant impact into Bournemouth and beyond. Think about it. We could facilitate Alpha in our own space, other than having to ship them out all the time. I think we've got a couple of pictures. We literally don't have the facilities and the space to be able to do this, so we now have to hire other venues to run Alpha. We want to run all of our courses in, in, in the same place, from discipleship journey to the Lectio course to the Bible course, Jesus at the door training, prayer ministry training... A place where we can train disciples that make disciples that make disciples and equip and develop our leaders to thrive and achieve their kingdom potential in Jesus. Imagine we could house, you know, pastoral care and the book club and coffee and chat, the women's ministry, the men's ministry, cap, sozo, feast, coaching, mentoring, star recovery, international cafe, kids, youth, students, young adults, the table tennis club, maybe even bridge the gap and the basketball ministry if we had the space. But also in the future, what would it look like to have our own nursery or a proper counselling hub where we partner with statutory agencies to provide support and crisis support to those most vulnerable in our town. We've talked about having family ministry and marriage ministry. This is all the heart of our God. Who knows? Who knows? But all we do know is that this facility will be a place where people can come and find Jesus. And we need protection from the enemy as we go down this stretch of road. Let's not be unaware of Satan's schemes. Let's recognize his ploy and let's pray against his influence in the church. Praying intentionally, and they were praying this earlier, against strife and division and hassle. But also let's pray internal. Let's pray for marriages and friendship issues. And let's pray for the external forces that may come in the coming weeks and months. We know that Satan will try and influence the major decision makers. Like the council, for instance. We need the Lord to orchestrate things in such a way that the right people are involved in all the decision making processes as we move forward. That the council would look favorably uh, favorably, uh, at any property or land that we look at. That they would grant us either a change of use or uh, they would even grant us a building that we we would need because at all of those um, points, we're going to need to go to them. As I see it, there are basically three main obstacles on this journey. The first obstacle is finding the right land or building that can meet all of our requirements. The second obstacle, of course, is raising enough money to pay for it all. And the third obstacle is the one that I just mentioned, which is the council planning department, that they would show favor on us. I mean, our confidence is that the Lord will remove all three of those obstacles, and it will come to pass But the Lord wants us to take this serious and be dependent on him to fast and to pray fervently that his plan will happen. Yeah. We know of many other churches, actually, that have gone down this route and who have hit problems, major problems with their local councils uh, where they've turned down applications for planning and change of use. However, we have also heard of crazy miracles as the church have prayed. The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, Ezra eight twenty two. That's what we're doing. That's what we're entering into. We're looking to him. We're, we're following his lead. We're looking up to him. We're depending on him for all our needs. Verse 23, so we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Here in this passage, they fasted and they prayed. See, petition is asking for something for ourselves, uh, unlike intercession, which is asking for something for others. And we as a church, we need to petition for our church. We need to ask God's kingdom to come in facilitating all of what is about to happen. And we see here in Ezra that God answered their prayer. And they got to Jerusalem. Verse 31, it says, On the twelfth day of the first month we set out from the Harbor Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. It was the norm for the people of Israel to fast. And many Christians, apprentices of Jesus today, have over-spiritualized fasting, or others have seen it as some kind of, kind of legalistic Old Testament habit. But fasting should be a part of our, our apprenticeship to Jesus. I'm hoping that this comes as a real challenge that we should be fasting and praying for all that the Lord is asking us to do. In fact, I want us to start this journey of of fasting and praying for building for the future, but my heart is that this would be weaved into the fabric of every single one of our walk with the Lord. But when I first heard someone teach and encourage me, us, the church, to fast at the beginning of my walk with Jesus... I thought they were mad. I literally thought, what are they saying to me? They're, they're telling me, they're suggesting that I don't eat and I pray instead. I mean, it was, it was so alien to me. Maybe you're hearing this today and you're thinking, what is he talking about? John Wesley said, he said, Some have exalted fasting beyond all scriptural reason, and others have utterly lost it. We need balance, church. Now, in the scriptures, there are three levels of fasting. The first one is a partial fast. In Daniel 10, 3, it says, I ate no choice food, meat or wine, touch my lips. And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. That made me laugh because I thought, well, some of you might be able to skip the Marks and Spencers meat and wine, but I don't know if you can give up your lotions. You know who you are. (laughs) Ezekiel ate wheat and barley and beans and lentils and a couple of grains for a whole year so that is a partial fast then we have a normal fast not eating any solid food and just water, Jesus did it for 40 days and at the end of it he was hungry not eating for a month and a half, 40 days, I mean some of us not eating for 40 minutes is a challenge, right? The Pharisees fasted 24 hours twice a week. Not eating solid food doesn't actually mean then just liquidizing your steak and chips. I just wanted to put that out there. Or not eating, but just living off of McDonald's milkshakes. I know some of you were thinking that as I, was, I started talking about this. And then we find the third type of fast in the Bible is an absolute fast. We see Esther in Esther 4.16. She didn't eat or drink for three days. You say, but John, so what? What does fasting actually achieve? It sounds like a stupid, unproductive activity. Well, it's firstly a means of humbling oneself Before God. Secondly, it's a tangible way of declaring that God's interests are higher than our interests. That his agenda is is higher, is a higher priority to us over our agenda. It's not a means, and some of you may have been thinking this, it's not a means of us trying to manipulate God. We're not trying to pry God's fingers open to give us what we want. In Isaiah 58, the children of Israel thought fasting was this magical kind of pagan thing that they did, a bit like a slot machine. They just put it in, and then they they got the jackpot afterwards. But let me tell you, no amount of religious observance, church-going, or prayer will wrestle from God's unwilling hand for something we want. It's not about us bending his arm behind his back. This is about surrendering to his will. As I said earlier, in the early church, fasting was often done before making major decisions. Like in Acts 13 and 14, the appointing of missionaries and elders. And we're just doing that. We need guidance at this time, and we need the Lord to speak to us individually and corporately. Individually, about, like, well, how much money are we to give up front? Like, how much money are we to commit to give towards this? over the coming weeks months and years he wants to give he wants us to give as i've said many times before extravagantly but this is above and beyond our regular giving this is a real sacrifice for us as a church it will be a real sacrifice but fasting and praying and what we're doing when we do that is we're saying, Lord, we need to hear from you. We're serious about wanting to partner with you in all that you want to do. To do. Lord, would you reveal your will to us? Fasting adds weight to our prayer. And I always like to think of it, it it's a way of attuning our hearts to God's. For instance, in 1 Timothy 2.4, God longs that. It says, all men would be saved and come to know the truth. Fasting is our way of entering into God's experience, into his longing for the world and his plans for his creation. Fasting, I see, is like a a key to our hearts, in our hearts, joining with his I want to encourage you increase your prayer life as we move forward in the coming weeks especially on the days that you fast. Fasting brings a more constant awareness of God and our hunger prompts us and reminds us of who we're doing this for. By no means is fasting a constant spiritual high. Charles Spurgeon, one of the best Victorian preachers, he wrote this. He said, Our seasons of fasting and prayer in the tabernacle have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gates stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer the central glory. I mean, Spurgeon may have been describing the exception and not the rule, because most of the times you feel hungry. Hungry. So let's look at some of the practices. Lives. But really, this is me asking you not to do something more rather than you having to do anything extra. You just don't eat, instead, pray. The activity of fasting actually doesn't take up time, it actually saves you time. Time that you would otherwise be preparing food, it releases you to have time to pray. That that is the good side of fasting. The bad side of fasting is that there is discomfort. There is. Recently, I, I've been fasting from from Tuesday evening uh, through to Wednesday dinner time, and I'll let you know. Like I'm 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 not under law with this. Like if I'm not feeling well, I won't do it. If I'm a holiday, I won't do it. Um, and often I think about this, on the day that I'm meant to be fasting, I wake up, and as soon as I wake up, for some reason, I'm, I'm feeling more hungry than I ever did. <laughs> I have to. I have to make a conscious effort not to eat. Like going into the office and people are coming in with like biscuits and cakes, and they're, they're going, and I'm just like, "Oh, and I have to catch myself, and I have to consciously make a decision uh, not to eat. You definitely feel hungry. And for me, I don't feel any less hungry as I go through the day. Whoever it was, actually, that applied the English word fast to this activity had obviously never done it. Because at times, it does feel like the day drags on. It does feel like it's just taking forever. Look, I tell you this because when we do this, you are going to feel hungry. And those of you who do this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do want to address one other thing. Some people say that when they fast, they get headaches. And uh, this can be, and I'm I'm letting you know this because I've heard this consistently, can be caused by caffeine withdrawal. If some of you drink tea and coffee during the day and you start to fast, your body craves that and you can end up with a headache. The thing is, I know that a lot of people then at that point just stop and go, well, I'm not going to visit this again. Let me tell you, why don't you just drink tea and coffee while you fast, if that's the case? Or why don't you give up caffeine before that? I'm just trying to make you aware of some of the things that happen. If you fast for a few days, you can feel a bit lethargic or a bit cold. And some of us may sense the Lord asking us to fast maybe for longer for longer times maybe maybe a few days in many ways the hardest for me over the years have been the first couple of days and then the hunger pangs kind of are, are less or you're just in more of a rhythm of prayer i'm not quite sure which one but when you fast for sure you will feel a little bit out of sorts fasting is for sure an uncomfortable activity for us when food is so readily available. And I want to say this, this um, rhythm, this spiritual rhythm, it feels easier for some people than others. But hear me, church, this is not a competition about who can go the longest without food. It's an expression of devotion to God and a commitment to his purposes. And as with our regular giving, and I mentioned this in my talk last year, we believe in equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. For some of us, to fast for a short period of time is, is a major sacrifice. And for other of us, of us, you know, an extended time, it doesn't co- cost us much at all. When I first started fasting, I used to drink tea and coffee. I used to drink tea and coffee, and as the staff will tell you, with loads of sugar in it. And I remember telling this to a lady once, and she said, that's cheating. She said, you can't do that. She said, you've got milk and, you know, and and that's calories. Look, it's not cheating because it's between you and the Lord. The degree to which you fast is not the issue so much as the fact that you're doing what you feel able to do unto the Lord. It's more a matter of the heart than of counting minutes and calories. The degree to which you fast is also very dependent on your situation. Like maybe you work in a specific ministry area, or maybe you have a day of the week where it's easier to far- fast than others. Remember, the widow's might was more appreciated by Jesus than the riches put in by all who could easily spare it so think about your situation I mean if you're say if you're breastfeeding you might not be able to go without a meal but maybe you could miss a dessert or or maybe you could miss a boring uh, meal if you have a medical condition I want to be super clear here you need to be very careful about adjusting your food intake and you should talk to your doctor before making any changes You might prefer to fast by depriving yourself of television or, or shopping or chocolate or social media. If your job involves manual labor, like maybe you can't expect to starve for long periods of time because you need your faculties about you. You need to be able to do your work. There isn't one size that fits all. But some of us, fasting is a normal part of our devotional life. And for other of us, Maybe you've heard some teaching on fasting before. Maybe you've read something up on this subject. Maybe you've even given it a try. Or maybe you've intended to try it, but you've never really got round to it. Or maybe some of you have set your, your, your goal so high, like, I'm going to fast for a week and literally within the first hour, you just, you, you fail and you're like, well, I can't do this. I'm, I'm obviously not disciplined enough. You know, I'm, I'm not good enough to be a faster. And you've basically written it off. Some of you used to fast and you've drifted away and you haven't fasted for ages. And some of you, as I say that, you're like, that's me, that's me. Look, whatever your situation, I want to encourage you to be like the woman who broke the bottle of perfume and anointed Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, she did what she could, and she did it for me. And the same applies to fasting. Do what you can and do it for him. Fasting feels uncomfortable and slightly foolish, but God has called us to humble ourselves in dependence on him even more in this next season to play our part for him to release what seems impossible and make it possible look if you want to take this a next step further you've heard me you're like okay i want to uh i want to you know i want to look into this a bit more There's a great book that I always recommend to people. I've read it loads of times. I was going to get a picture. It's not going to come up, but remember this. It's called The Fasting Key. And I'll I'll get a picture of it, and I'll put it up on the screen next week. Tiny little book, and it will really help you to understand how you move into a lifestyle of fasting. I mean, I know myself, as I said, when I first started fasting... I fasted TV, and I fasted social media, and then over time the Lord started to speak to me about food, and so I started you know, with drinking tea and coffee with sugar in it, and, and I just found my way into a place uh, where actually I, um, I've never done an absolute fast, but, but I normally fast, so I will just fast f- um, food and just drink water. But that has taken me time to do that. But in my fasting and my praying... I have seen incredible freedom and breakthrough, not just in my own life, but in the lives of those around me. And honestly, I I credit some of the very significant things that have happened in my walk and in my life to fasting. So, as I close, take a moment to think of a person that you really love, who doesn't know the Lord, and maybe a person that at times, and I've done this as well, No shame on you. You've just written them off. And you've been like, there is no way that God can reach them. They're just too far away. You got that person in in your mind? Well, for me, that person at the beginning of my walk was Alice. (laughs) It was. And back then, when I think about where we were at in our lives, Alice hated Christians. She thought that I had joined a cult She had no idea what was happening to me, because if you speak to her, she would say one moment I was one way, and literally overnight I had changed, and she could see that change in me. Uh, In our relationship at that time, we were fighting, it was volatile, she she couldn't understand what had happened uh, in my life, all I wanted to do was preach the gospel at her, and that pushed her away even more, and caused even more problems. We ended up you know, smashing our flat up. I mean, we're not violent people, but it's a spiritual battle going on there, right? I've come to know the living God, and my wife is looking at me like, what's happened to him? He's, he is a strange guy. <laughs> and I remember at that time, and I shared this with the staff team, and I can't remember the whole um, analogies of this, but we ended up uh, living apart for a while, and um, uh, and I lived in a Christian house, and she'd gone to another friend's house. And I can't remember whether she'd crossed the line or not at this point. But you know, I'd be praying for Alice, and, uh, and I'd also be sharing the gospel with her. And then I'd phone her, and I'd be like, oh, where are, you, where are you, my love? And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm at home, I'm in my room. And I'd literally be stood outside her room looking in the window, and she was out clubbing. She was literally out in the clubs. And she was out drinking, and she was out of all of, all of that stuff. And let me tell you... I committed to pray and fast for her. And I did that every single week for at least, well, at least one day a week, at least 24 hours, over a period of about 12 months, on my knees before the Lord, saying, I know you long for her to know you, but like, what's going on? Like, why hasn't she responded to the good news that I've responded to? Why doesn't she realize that you are real? And then I got a phone call Months and months and months later, uh, from a friend of mine, Alice was around there, and she'd given her life to Jesus. She was baptized in the Spirit. She was praying in tongues. And I was like, praise God. And of course, the wonderful story that happens after that is, of course, we then end up getting married, and we have three amazing children, and here I am. My point is, is that God works miracles when we are utterly dependent, submissive before him, when we fast And when we pray, church, I want to invite you into this wonderful opportunity to be closer to Jesus, to know that you're in the center of his will. Yes, to pray for the people that were all on your hearts and minds when I said that and see what the Lord may do. You up for this adventure? Amen. Bless you.